Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Morning, guys. Welcome to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens. I'm Josh Downs, and so excited for this week's material. These chapters are loaded with things, so I can't wait to get into them. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 8, Mark chapters 2 through 4, and Luke chapter 7 with the theme, Thy Faith Hath Saved Thee. Now, as just always a reminder of the three things to look for in your study this week, number one, how does this particular event or lesson bear testimony of Christ and who He is and what He can do? Number two, what principles can I find that can help guide me in my life, help me to make better choices and decisions, or help me in whatever circumstances I might be in? And three, what character traits can I see in Christ and those that follow Him? This one being one of my favorites. If we are going to really follow Him, to come follow me, we need to understand who He is and, and what He does and why He does what He does. See His character so that we can emulate that character and develop that character in ourselves. Now, I wanted to start out just by sharing a quick experience that I had back when I was in high school that I think fits very well into this. It was my senior year and my senior season of playing basketball at Western High School. And as you can imagine, that's the year that you look forward to the most. All the work that you've put in prior to that point all comes to a head your senior season. So I was so excited for this approaching season of basketball because I was going to be a senior. And so a group of us that had played over the years decided to get together before the official start of the season just to start getting in shape and kind of start working out some of the cobwebs. And I remember in that scrimmage feeling a very sharp pain suddenly in my chest. I didn't know what it was from. I thought maybe I just got a hard elbow to the chest. But as I continued to play, I realized it was getting harder to breathe. So I took myself out of the game and went and sat down. And the longer I sat there, the worse the pain got to the point where I just, it felt like I was having a heart attack or something. I I laid down, I couldn't catch my breath, deep breaths hurt excruciatingly, and I swear I could hear a little almost pop, a little click every time I took a breath. Over the course of, of several minutes and people coming over to make sure I was all right, eventually the pain started to get manageable and I just chalked it up to some weird thing that I must have experienced and I just went about my the rest of my evening. I didn't play anymore. But I think I remember going to a, on a date. I had a date that night to a haunted house of all things. And I remember that was a bad idea because every time I get scared and, and take a, a deep breath, it would just hurt and I'd double over in pain. I think my date must have thought I was the strangest date that she'd ever had. I quickly rushed home after that date to tell my parents what was going on because it just was not really going away. And something just didn't quite feel right. As I laid on my parents' bed, explained to them what had happened, my dad just felt like we needed to go into the ER and have it taken a, a look at. And I'm so glad, we're so glad that we did because come to find out, I had experienced what's called a spontaneous pneumothorax or basically there's a, a part of your lung that, that ruptures. <laughs> a little avila sac had ruptured and air that I was breathing in was now escaping into my chest cavity with nowhere to go. And so the pressure was building and it was getting harder and harder to breathe. Eventually, I just wouldn't be able to breathe. Now, come to find out, the procedure for that is pretty simple. However, as they told me later, it is one of the more painful procedures that that you could experience because they don't put you to sleep for it and just very numb you a little bit on the outside. Basically, they have to stick a tube in 
to your side, into your chest cavity, through your ribs to let the excess air out and give your lung time to just hopefully heal on its own. And so I'll never forget that experience as long as I live, watching that the doctor plant his back foot, put one hand on the side of my chest, and with the other hand try to maneuver a tube through my side and ribs into my chest cavity. Eventually, after a lot of screaming and pain, uh, feeling and hearing all that excess built-up air just come rushing out. Um, I, I felt the life almost leave with that air and just kind of collapsed, exhausted from the, the procedure. I would spend several more days in the hospital, but as you can imagine, this put quite the damper on my senior season playing basketball. I remember laying in the hospital bed, getting the news for how long it would typically take to recover and thinking of all the things I would miss from not being able to play as much as I wanted or be in as much of game shape as, as what I had wanted to be and had been working to be. And having all kinds of questions like, why did this happen? Why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? God, where are you? Don't you care about me? I need you right now. I need you to heal me. I need you to help me to get better. And I wanted to share that because a lot of what we're going to look at today and this week in our study through these Come Follow Me chapters is looking at Christ as a healer. Three-fourths of his miracles that he performed were healings. And there's a reason for that. I don't believe that's coincidental. The Savior wants us to see him as a healer. Now, although that was a very painful experience to me, that wasn't the only experience that I, that I had that was painful, that I wanted healing from during my teenage years. I had a number of girls who broke my heart. <laughs> there's, a, there's not a lot of pain worse than a broken heart. There were friends that I lost in high school, and that was a very painful experience. I remember, like most teenagers, struggling with my self-image and self-worth, and that was painful to me. There were numerous disappointments in academic performance and other things that just were missed opportunities and things that I felt that I had failed in. There were so many things that I wanted healing from. And in working with young people like I have today, I know how many more out there are continuing to struggle with things in their own life that they want healing from as well. And that's why I love to see Christ in this capacity that we'll see him in this week as a healer. And I think we see that from him because of two reasons. One, to have faith and to know that he can heal us. That is what he does. He can help us through our challenges, our struggles, our broken hearts, our pains, and our afflictions. And two, because I believe he is showing us the way to be. Listen to this quote from Elder Holland from his book that had just come out this year called Our Day Star Rising, in which he says, We all know that wonderful call for more labors in the work of the harvest refers primarily to teaching and testifying. It is a wonderful missionary scripture, but I would suggest today that in context, it surely is a call to heal one another as well. Jesus certainly did his missionary work, and he did that first, but as he went about preaching and teaching, he bound up all manner of wounds in the process. And then he says, I ask you to be a healer, be a helper, be someone who joins in the work of Christ in lifting burdens, in making the load lighter, in making things better. Isn't that the phrase that we used to use as children when we had a bump or a bruise? Didn't we say to mom or dad, make it better? <laughs> well, lots of people on your right hand and on your left are carrying bumps and bruises that they hope will be healed and made whole. 
someone within reasonable proximity to you today is carrying a spiritual or physical or emotional burden of some sort or an affliction drawn from life's catalog of a thousand kinds of sorrow. In the spirit of Christ's first invitation to Philip and Andrew and then to Peter and to the whole of his 12 apostles, jump into this work, help people, heal old wounds, and try to make things better. In short, I ask you to follow him. Boy, I just love that statement. And what a wonderful thing to take into our study this week. As you look at some of the incredible healings that the Savior performed, obviously from the perspective of he can heal us, I would also invite you to consider it from the perspective of how can I heal others who around me is in need of healing as well. And let me interject one other thought when it comes to healing. And I think this is a profound one as well, especially for you young people. This is something that I needed to learn, and many of us do, that yes, as you go through these stories, you will see how faith brings about healing. But I remember Elder Bednar telling a story about a young couple, one of which was diagnosed with cancer and requested a blessing at his hand. And as he approached them in the hospital to give them a blessing, he said he had a thought to ask him that he was not planning on asking him. Of that experience, he said, I then posed questions that I had not planned to ask and had never previously considered. John, he said, do you have the faith not to be healed? If that is the will of our Heavenly Father, that you are transferred by death in your youth to the spirit world to continue your ministry, do you have the faith to submit to his will and not be healed? There's obviously a lot more to that story, but I love that simple thought. Yes, we talk a lot about having the faith to be healed, and you'll see that all throughout these stories. But I think we also need to balance it sometimes with having the faith not to be healed, because there will be times where we will be asked to endure and to go through whatever experience that we have been given. That is a part of us becoming childlike willing to submit to all things whatsoever the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon his children and trust him that there's purpose and reasons for it, even though we can't see it. And so I would invite you to consider that, especially in light of any healings that you want to experience in your life. Yes, it's important that we have the faith to be healed, but I think it's even more important that we have the faith not to be healed. Now, here's how this is going to work. My intent and purpose in putting these episodes together is really to be more of a guide because the most important teacher for you is the Holy Ghost. Heavenly Father knows exactly what you need when you need it, and He knows what you need right now from this study this week. And so I want to try to help you connect with Him. In order to do that, I'm going to try to teach this as if I was there with you, asking you questions, giving you things to look for in your study so that you can discover these truths for yourself. And so I'm first of all going to invite you to grab your scriptures so that you can follow along, obviously, as we go through this, marking things that stick out to you, writing down thoughts, uh, questions that you have that come to your mind, as well as experiences that you have. And so make sure to pause whenever needed as you're listening so that you can do this before moving on to the next things. Now, as always, we're going to start with just some key things to look for as you go through your study this week. And we're going to begin with Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10, the story of the healing of the centurion's servant. And I'm just going to tell you, give you something to look for as you study these verses. What I would invite you to look for is what is it that impresses you about the way this particular miracle is performed? And how does it relate to how the Savior can heal you? Another key thing to look for this week is in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the healing of the palsied man or the paralytic man. 
You know the story about the four friends that lowered their friend from the roof because they just couldn't get to Christ because there were so many people around him. They wanted to bring him to Christ to be healed. And so they tore a hole in the roof and lowered him down on ropes. Such an amazing story. Here's the questions I would invite you to consider as you read and study these verses. Number one is why was he healed? What was it that really brought the healing about? Whose faith was it that brought the healing about? And what does this teach about our ability to help and to heal others? Second thing to look for is what does this story teach about friends, about the importance of friends and the kinds of friends that we should have? As you study this story, I would invite you to consider what friends do you have in your life that would do for you what these friends did for their friend. And then lastly, I would invite you to consider how are your parents or others in your family like these four friends? How are they trying to bring you to Christ? I mean, they probably want to see you get up out of your bed and walk as much as this paralyzed man was in his, right? So there's some similarities to look for as you study this particular story, especially as a young person. And then maybe actually one more thing, because I don't want you to miss this. And that is, what does this story teach about the Savior's power to not just heal you physically, but to forgive you of your sins? Now, another key principle that I don't want you to miss this week is found in Mark chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. It's the story of the Savior picking corn with his apostles on the Sabbath. And so pause if you need to and take a moment to get to those verses because there's a great message here, especially for all young people. Now, as I mentioned in this story, the Savior and his apostles were picking corn on the Sabbath because they needed food, which, according to the scribes and the Pharisees, was against the law to do on the Sabbath day. And so as many of these scribes and Pharisees saw them, what they were doing, they approached them asking them, why are you breaking the law of the Sabbath and working on the Sabbath day? To which the Savior then teaches this incredible truth. And I want you to mark this. It's in verse 17 where the Savior says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. One of the ways you can look at that is he's almost asking them, um, who's meant to be the master and who's meant to be the servant? Is the Sabbath day meant to rule over us and be the master of us? Or are we meant to be the masters over the Sabbath and allow it to serve us? And of course, it's meant to be the first. We are not meant to mindlessly have to follow things that we don't know or understand or even want to. The Sabbath was given to us to use to our discretion to help us to become better, to to connect with God better, to be able to refresh from a, a week's work and to be able to approach another week with a clear mind and a stronger spirit. And yet, I think there are a lot of things in life that this can apply to besides just the Sabbath day. I remember a friend who once told me an experience that he had in being invited to attend a dinner at a very famous world champion boxer's home. And while he was having dinner with this this incredible athlete, he said he noticed that towards the end of the meal that this boxing legend was just staring at his plate, and there was a, a little piece of steak still left on it. And eventually, after watching him stare at this for several minutes, he couldn't help but ask what he was staring at, to which this prize fighter responded, I am proving to myself that I have power over this steak, <laughs> which I think was a profound statement because typically if there's a, a piece of steak in front of me, it has power over me. I can't help myself. I will take it. But this man knowing how important mind was over matter. And so even in an opportunity like this, he was proving to himself that he was master over it instead of it being master over him. 
And I think that's a truth that we all can internalize a little bit better and reflect on often because there are so many things that we have been made to be masters over, but that can easily become masters over us if we aren't careful. Case in point is the cell phone that you're most likely listening to this podcast on. I think it's worth considering who's the master and who's the servant in that relationship with our cell phones. When we wake up in the morning, do we grab our cell phone or does our cell phone grab us? And there are so many other things like that, right? Young people, you are not meant to be slaves to fashion or to social media or to video games or all these things that are enslaving so many people in the world today. We are meant to be masters. And one of the ways that we can learn to do that is by taking a break from things sometimes, proving to ourselves that I have control over it instead of it controlling me. Stephen Pressfield from The War of Art once said, the truly free individual is only free to the degree of his own self-mastery, while those who will not govern themselves are condemned to find masters to rule over them. And so teenagers, I just want to encourage you to watch out for those things that are trying to enslave you, trying to become masters over you. Watch out for those things and make sure you keep your power with you at all times. Now, another great key point that I want you to look at this week is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 20. It's the parable of the sower. And this one is, is so great. The things I would invite you to look for and to mark are for sure the, the four types of ground that is mentioned by the Savior in this parable and what happens to each of the seeds in that ground. And as you do that, I want you to consider what can you do to be more open to receiving the gospel seed in your heart? How do these different types of grounds relate to the human heart? And then maybe consider what can you do to plant that gospel seed better in your heart, to water it more, and to remove any thorns that might try to choke it from growing and developing. And what does this parable teach about the process of gaining a testimony and a knowledge of truth? My hope is that you'll see an element of time involved, that it takes time, so be patient with yourself. It's okay to have questions, but try to question your questions before you question your faith. And the last key principle I want to give you a few things to look at comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15, which chronicles the raising of the widow's son from Nain. And when you study these verses, what I want you to really look for are character traits that you see in Christ. In fact, I would invite you to put a little CT above that particular verse or even a word signifying character trait. It's a fun way to kind of mark those traits as you go through the New Testament so you can quickly find them again when you, when you want them. Let me give you an example. I would put, if I were you, a CT above the word Nain in verse 11, which was, the, again, the name for the city. And Nain was a very little city, a very little city. And when it mentions that he went there, he would have had to have gone about 25 miles out of his way to have gotten there. And one of the, th the things that, that teaches about Christ or the character trait that, that I see in that is that he went everywhere. He noticed everyone. He spent time with everyone, no matter how big or how small that they might have appeared to others. So again, put a CT above name because it shows a character trait of Christ. Don't ever be too good for those that appear smaller than you. See them, visit them, love them, go out of your way to be with them. In your schools, guys, I know that there are kids like the city of Nain that go unnoticed, unrecognized, and unseen. And so, like Christ, will you please go out of your way to see them, to recognize them, and if needed, 
to maybe even heal them. The other thing I want you to look for in these verses is what does this miracle teach about how the Savior feels when he sees your suffering? There's a character trait in that that is very profound that would be good to mark. In fact, let's go in there together and just look in and mark this one together. I think it's so good. Verse 12 is where we'll start. It says, Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, character trait, he had compassion, character trait, on her, and said unto her, Woman, weep not. And he came and touched the briar, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. Did you catch how the Savior felt when he saw the suffering of this mother? He had compassion on her. I wonder, in part, if in seeing the grief and pain that this mother was going through, if he didn't see his own mother's future pain and grief that she would go through in losing her only son as well. He is full of compassion, you guys. He sees your pain and he has empathy for it and he feels it with you. In fact, there's a great cross-referencing verse. I would write down 2 Nephi 21, verses 14 through 16, where the scriptures record, But behold, Zion hath said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me, but he will show that he hath not. I know it's very easy for many of us at times when we are going through hard things to think like I did in that hospital bed. God, where are you? Why have you left me? Why have you forgotten me? But as he promises, he will show you that he hath not. And why and how is it impossible for him to forget? Well, verse 15 of that reference says, For can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee, O house of Israel. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched a mother when their child has started to cry, how quick they are to respond. He is comparing his love and compassion and willingness to help even beyond that, which is amazing to me. And then he speaks to the reason why to all of this in the last verse in verse 16 when he says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Again, our pain is his pain. Our struggle is his struggle. Our walls are his walls. Because as he says, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Don't ever think, young people, that you are alone in going through what you're going through. And that there isn't anyone that doesn't know and feel and care about you and those things that you're experiencing. The Savior does. And he has compassion on you and will help you through them. Now, for this week's key principle that I want to really focus on, I want you to go to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and with the the title, Peace Be Still. I think most of us know this story, the story of the Savior on a boat with his apostles in the midst of a storm, and after being awakened by his apostles, calms the sea with the words, Peace Be Still. Now, before we go into these verses, I want you to do a couple things. Number one, I want you to write down a storm that you are going through right now, something that's hard and difficult. If I were to write something, for me, it would be building a new career. I left my job back in April and of last year, and I'm working to do something that I've always wanted to do. I'm excited about it. I'm, a passion, I'm passionate about it, 
and I'm enjoying it and having a lot of fun doing it, but I am also scared to death. I am worrying about having enough money to pay for everything, right? From my house to my daughter's wants and needs. It's a very scary and kind of tumultuous time. I feel like I'm in a bit of a storm that way. And so what about you? What is it something that, that you're going through right now that feels like a storm? And then I want us to take these storms into verses 35 through 41. Let's read through them. And you write down what principles that you can see to help you face your storm. I'll read the verses and then you can pause and write down any thoughts that come to you. But verse 35 starts out, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat unto the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now I wish we could be in close enough proximity to each other that I could hear what your thoughts are about that story and how it relates to your storm and and how you feel the Savior speaking to you in it. One of the things that I would draw your attention to, I know that drew my attention to it, was just his question, where is your faith? Why is it that you have no faith? Why are you so fearful? Isn't their reactions very similar to all of our reactions when we go through difficult storms and hard things? Don't you care about us? Don't you know that we might perish in this? And we experience lack of faith and we experience an increase of fear. And I think in many ways this story is meant to remind us of who exactly Christ is. That he has the power to bring order from chaos with just a word spoken from his lips, an entire sea and a storm can be calmed in a moment and in an instant. And I've learned personally from my life that while he may not always calm the storms that we are in, he can and will always calm the storms that are in us. And that to me is just as powerful, just as much a miracle as having everything outside of me being made right. One of my, my favorite examples of how to face storms in life comes from the buffalo. I don't know if you've ever heard this kind of example or this metaphor, but when there's a storm on the horizon, there's a difference between the way cattle respond to storms and buffalo. Cattle have the tendency of running away from a storm, which ironically keeps them in the storm longer as it eventually catches up to them and they just kind of run with it. Where buffalo have learned over the, the years and have been observed to charge headlong into the storm to run right at it. And I remember after hearing that, I thought, you know what? I want to be like that buffalo. I want to have the kind of faith that I charge headlong into the storm instead of often trying to run from it. And I think a part of of the knowledge that we need to have and, and understand that can help us when we go through these difficult storms in our lives is to understand that we are not going through them alone, to remind ourselves that God is in control And again, with a a word spoken from his lips, everything can change and be made right. Elder Holland pointed this out to us and tried to remind us when he said, In the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have the help from both sides of the veil. You must never forget that. When disappointment and discouragement strike, and they will, 
you remember and never forget that if our eyes could be opened, we would see horses and chariots as far as the eyes can see, riding at reckless speed to come to your protection. They will always be there, these armies of heaven in defense of Abraham's seed. And one of my favorite movies of all time is Avengers Endgame. And I've noticed how there are very similar kind of ways that movies play out to this particular movie. How there is a massive battle between good and evil, right? And it always seems to be, whether it was in Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or really any other epic movie or story like that, that there's a moment where it looks like the evil or the bad is going to win, right? It's going to prevail, the, whoever's good and whoever's been fighting the hero is just defeated. Uh, he's lost. He's beat down. And in Avengers, it was Captain America. <laughs> he was the last one standing. He gets up after you know being just totally beat up. All of his other colleagues and allies have been beat up as well. And he's staring at just this innumerable army. And of course, utters the phrase, I can do this all day. <laughs> but for us in the audience, we kind of know like, okay, he's about done. And it doesn't look like we're going to win this one. And all of a sudden, he hears a phrase come from one of his friends who had been lost um, that was now just brought back and says, hey, Captain, on your left. And suddenly, portals begin to open, right? And here come all of his allies, all of the help that he needs to face this insurmountable challenge in front of him. And they join him in the battle and prevail in the end. And I thought, you know, that often is how life goes. A lot of times we get to that point where we're like, Master, don't you know, like, we, we can't do this. It's not going to work. Um, we've expended all of our effort. We feel defeated. And we just don't feel that we can go on. But that's the moment where help comes the most. Just like Joseph in the, the sacred grove, who was about to give in to Satan's influence, right? And the power that he said, it had power to bind his tongue. And just at this moment of great alarm, when I was about to abandon myself to some unseen power and destruction, that just at that moment of great alarm, a pillar of light descended gradually upon my head. And I found myself delivered from the enemy, which held me bound. There's a great cross-referencing scripture to these verses I would write in Doctrine and Covenants section 84, verse 88, where the Savior promises us, and he says to us, I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand <laughs> and on your left. And my spirit shall be in your hearts and mine angels round about you to bear you up. Whatever storms that you find yourself in, you will not have to face them alone. God is with you and he will see you through them. And my life's experiences have taught me that. And although you're at a younger stage in, in age than I am, obviously, you will continue to have experiences that will help you to learn that as well. And you can get to that point where you know that God will take care of you and that he will get you through the storm if you'll let him. Yes, there will be scary moments and sometimes a lot of pain, but you can get to a place where there isn't a storm that has much power over you because of how much faith you have in God's power. And although my senior season in playing basketball didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, I felt the Savior's calming influence in going through that storm, and even his healing influence and in being healed from some of the, the hurt and the anger, both physically and emotionally, in experiencing that. And I know that he can do and will do the same for you. Now, let me give you a few key questions that you can journal and discuss about this particular 
principle that we've been talking about. First is that I want you to, to consider when have you felt like the apostles? Master, carest thou not that we perish? Second, I would invite you to consider, maybe even journal a little bit, what are some storms that you have seen the Savior calm already in your life and in the lives of others? And then finally, what helps you to overcome fear with faith? Is there a story? Is there a scripture? Is there an experience? What do you have to hold on to and to turn to and to help you to remember to be a little bit more like a buffalo and face your storms with faith instead of fear? And then lastly, let me give you a few application actions that you can take and apply some of the things that we've been talking about today, especially with this last story. Number one is what can you do to make sure the Savior is always on your boat, always with you? Imagine how the apostles might have felt had he not been there. In fact, I wonder how some of those other smaller boats that were with them felt without having the Savior on their boat. How can we honor our sacramental promise to better take his name upon us and always remember him, thus always having him with us. Second is, let me give you another cross-reference verse to write in here. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, which reads, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's always been a verse that I've turned to whenever I've gone through hard things, to remind myself that God hath not given us the spirit of fear. We are not meant to be afraid, but to understand that there is always power and love and to help keep us in a sound mind. And then the last thing I would like for you to write down, how will you run towards the next storm that you face instead of running away from it? Now, I hope that that has been helpful and will aid you in your study this week and that you will continue to find some amazing principles and amazing character traits in Christ, all of which you can take and apply in your own life. Remember these principles that we went over, especially the next time you find yourself in a storm or going through something hard and are beginning to feel the fear from how is this going to work out or what if this doesn't happen the way that I want it to or how can this ever be made right? Don't you care about how we perish, that we are suffering, that we are in pain and going through something hard? Remember that your walls are his walls, that your problems are his problems, that your pain is his pain and he has the marks on his hands to prove it. So armed with these truths, my hope is, is that you'll shift your thinking from telling God how big the storm is to telling the storm how big your God is. Remember, he's got you. Let's choose faith over fear this week. Now, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope that this has been helpful. I am so excited for you to discover even more things this week in your study. Let's go follow him better this week and become better in the process. Before we end, can I ask just two things of you this week? Number one is if you know of anyone that you think could benefit or that would like this podcast as well for themselves or for their kids, would you please consider sending this to them and sharing this with them? I would love to see our audience grow a bit here. And then second is if that you wouldn't mind leaving me a review. Those are always helpful in getting additional eyes to take a look at a podcast. I would appreciate it very much. Have a great week, you guys, and enjoy your study of Come Follow Me this week. Until next time, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.